0: Seated, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 63, Psalm 63. If one word could describe our society around the holiday season, I believe that word would be pressure, okay? And I think you understand what I mean by that. Uh, We seem to face a lot of pressure around the holidays and for various reasons, even down to a small age of human beings. Think about a five-year-old going to school for the first day and automatically, they're put under pressure to behave, to perform, to make grades, to get along with other kids. We start establishing pressure in our life uh, in the early ages of grade school, we'd take that on up to high school. And then they got the pressure of peer pressure. Then they got the pressure of the opposite sex pressure. We got athletic pressure. And then we graduate high school and we go to college. We got the pressure of picking the right college, picking the right degree, and making it through college. And then we get out of college, and now we get into the work force and now we have the pressure of finding the right job we have the pressure of finding the mate that we want to live the rest of our life with we have pressure of raising children we have the pressure of making decisions based on family and leadership and all those things you get my drift we got pressure right well think about this psalm this is written for us This is King David, he wrote this psalm, and when he was leaving uh, Jerusalem because of his son Absalom's revolt, David left everything behind, his wives, his possession, his throne, and he is entering into the northeast section of Judea, out in the wilderness with some of his men, and he's under pressure. He understands leadership pressure. He understands family pressure. He understands problems that create pressure. And now he's out in the middle of this wilderness and he writes Psalm 63 while he's in that place. You'll find that he doesn't ask God for anything other than God's presence in his life. You know, that's priority, All of these pressures on us in our life cause us to make decisions based upon what's important to us. Those are called priorities. You can have priorities based upon family. You can have priorities based upon your business. You can have them based upon your relationship with God. You can have them based upon your spouse, your friendships. All of those areas create priorities in our life. If we don't have priorities when it comes to pressure, then we get swept away by life because we make decisions that aren't based upon priority. And so we need priorities in our life. And David had his priorities finally straightened out. He'd been with God now several years from a small teenage boy taking care of his dad's sheep all the way up to being the king of Israel, and now he's getting booted out by his son, or so his son thinks, all because of situations created by David and God's hand upon him and uh, chastising him, disciplining David, punishing David, judging him, however we can say that. So David has to make decisions based upon priorities. Now let's look at this psalm together. Let's stand. It's only 11 verses. Let's read it. And you won't have to stand up again, right? You can sit. Like I said, we are standing church. Amen. Here we go. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, Thou art my God. I shall seek Thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh yearns for Thee. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, thus I have beheld Thee in the sanctuary. To see thy power and thy glory, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise thee. So I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in, my, in thy name. My soul is satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Verse 6, when I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches, for thou hast been my help. And in the shadow of thy wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to thee. Thy right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Let's pray. Lord, help us to deal with life in the holiday season. Help us to see that there's more that we are missing. There's more for us to discover in You. And I pray today that You help us to find it, even in this place, Father. I pray for Your Spirit to move and for wisdom to come. And I pray you fill every heart with your message today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Priorities, godly priorities are vital to our life. David certainly knew about those. David wrote this psalm in uh, response to pressure and priorities that were happening and taking place in his life. David wasn't asking for his throne back He wasn't asking for his wives back. He wasn't asking for his son to turn away. David was simply calling out to God for God's presence to be in his life. David was getting his priorities in order. David was going to make decisions based upon those priorities. He looked for fellowship with God, confidence in God above what his circumstances were telling him. Amen? Amen. Can you do that? Are you willing to try that? Let's talk about that a little bit deeper. The life of a believer, look on the screen, the life of a believer must be one of continually seeking after God. You say, well, Brother Clay, the Bible says no one seeks God. It says that in Romans chapter 3. No one is seeking after God. God is seeking after you. And after God finds you, and develops this relationship with you, then you are responsible for continually seeking after Him. You have to have your priorities in order, in a, in a way that you spend time seeking after God. Not to find Him. You've already found Him. He's already found you. Now you want to develop this friendship, this relationship above and beyond. That is priority number one. Put God first in your life. Seek Him, just like David did. You didn't read in this psalm that he was asking for anything else other than the presence of God to overwhelm him, to fulfill him. Sometimes during the holidays we want everything to slow down and shut down even. We even neglect God during the holidays. That's the time we need Him the most. You know, the holidays is derived from the word holy days. You understand that? These are holy days. Thanksgiving, Christmas, right? These are holy days. So we need to be even more diligent in seeking after God. This psalm is a psalm of emotion and feelings. Amen. What does it mean to seek after God? What does that really entail? Well, David tells us here in verse 1 that we must have a personal relationship with God. Look at verse 1. O God, Thou art my God. Not a God, not the God, but He's my God. Amen? You must have this personal relationship with God. There's a vast difference in knowing about God and knowing God. I say this all the time. There's a vast difference in believing in God and believing God. You can believe in Him without believing Him. You get it? You can believe that He's there, but you don't have to believe what He says. You don't have to believe what He does. You don't have to believe in how much He loves you. You can believe there's a God. When I was growing up in church, I believed in God. I got old enough to leave home. I believed in God. But I did not believe God. I lived a life apart from Him. Away from Him. Disconnected from Him. Doing my own thing. I was the king of my heart. Not God. Until I became or realized that I was in the bottom of life. Hopeless. And then I listened and I believed God. And I reached out my hand because he had his hand out to me and he pulled me up out of that bottom of life. That barrel so to speak. And he cleansed my life up. He cleansed our lives up. That's what he does. Now I believe God. Not only do I believe in Him, I believe Him. There's a vast difference in knowing about Him and knowing Him. Right? You understand what I'm saying. Here's what Jesus said about this knowing relationship. John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Is eternal life knowing about God? No. No. Is eternal life believing in God? No. Jesus says eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. So how does that all take place? This meeting takes place when you come to realize and trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's when the meeting takes place. That's when you meet God. That's when you know Him. Because He's provided for you a way to come to Him and to know Him. He's drawing you. And the only way you can come and know God is when you believe what Jesus did on the cross for you personally. It's a personal thing. It's not a family thing. It's not a national thing. It's not a husband and wife thing. It is a personal thing. Husbands, you won't go to heaven because your wife's a Christian. Wives, you're not going to heaven because your husband's a Christian. You go because you believe what Jesus did on the cross was for you personally. And you come to know Him through that belief and trust and faith. Now you are God's. Now you're His child. Now you know Him. Now you know about Him. Now you believe in Him. Now you believe what He says. You believe God. That's what David says. Oh God, You are my God. In order to seek after God, there must be this personal relationship. Number two, in order to seek after God, you must understand there's more to discover. Right? No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how much you know, there's more all that you know is not all there is to know. Amen? All that you know is not all there is to know. David says, I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirst for thee. David had God. David's been walking with God for years now in his life. But he knows there's more. He knows there's a deeper walk, a deeper relationship, a greater life to be lived. David is satisfied but he's not satisfied. Amen? He knows there's more about God that he can have. He says it in this way, I'm craving after God. I am thirsting for God. Earnestly tells us that he is diligent about it. To seek after God is with intense desire. Do you really have that in your life? When you get up and begin your day in prayer, are you intensely desiring Him? That's what David is telling us to do. To seek after Him requires intense desire to go further with God, to go deeper with God, to know that there is more with God. How can there be more with God? I'll tell you how. He's infinite and you and I are not. Right now. When you become spiritual and you become born again, you become infinite. Uh, Don't... Forget I said that, okay? You're going to be infinitely in hell if you don't know God. You're going to be infinitely in heaven if you know Him and are saved. But God is infinite in wisdom and power and love and grace and forgiveness. There's certainly more for us to know from an infinite being. Amen. David, realize that? You and I understand that. If you are in neutral in your Christian life and you're coasting along waiting for that old gospel ship to come down and swoop you and take you home to heaven, where Brother John is right now, Amen. Amen. See that right there? Kathy gave that to me yesterday. Brother John wanted me to have that. I about broke out in tears when she handed that to me. I said, I can't wait to wear that. Brother John is there because he had this relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. Amen. And so God wants you to have that relationship. If you're in neutral, coasting along, you're in trouble. We don't naturally gravitate to God. If we're in neutral and coasting, we naturally gravitate away from God. That's how it works. You're not growing in any way. If you are not engaging Him and earnestly desiring Him. Look what A.W. Tozer said on the screen. Complacency is the deadly foe of spiritual growth. Being complacent. Ho-hum Christian life. Ho-hum church. Ho-hum prayer. Ho-hum Bible study. If I got time, if I feel like it, I'll go. If I got nothing else to do, I'll go. If i got something better to watch on TV, I'm not going to pray right now. Those types of things. That's ho-hum, neutral, coasting Christianity. You're in trouble if that's where you are in your life. Because you are going to succumb to the pressures of this world because you don't have your priorities straight. Amen? God wants our priorities straight. He must be number one. In order to seek God, we must be continually seeking after Him. In that way, David had known God for years and yet he knew and thirsted for more. The last thing I want to show you is this. God alone can fill that void that's in your life. Amen. David fled, left all behind, wives, possessions, thrown, but he wasn't seeking after those and their return. Verse 1, he says, I shall seek you, God. I will look for you. My soul is thirsty for you. Verse 3 says that because your loving kindness is better than life. The fact is, it's easy to fill our lives with other things. It's easier to fill our life with other things than it is to fill it with God. Because it does take diligence. And it does take effort. And it does take time and energy and desire, and if we are neutral in all that, energy's out the window. Diligence is thrown away. It takes effort for you and I to seek after God. It doesn't come to us naturally. It comes naturally to go away from Him. It's easy to fill my life with other things. Why? Because Satan's good at what he does, and he'll put things on your plate and my plate, In front of God. Just like that apple Eve had to decide over. Satan puts those things in your life. One of those things is family. Family's good. Family's a blessing. But if you give God one hour a week on Sunday morning, and the rest of it is family, then you don't have God in the center of your life. No matter what you say, no matter how you feel, that's a reality. You give God one hour a week on Sunday morning, but the rest of it is with people. You're trying to fill your life with people, not God. He's not the center. People are the center. People are good. People are a blessing. Satan knows what he's doing. Don't deny your family. Don't deny God. Give each of them some time. Just give your family more. Give your family priority over God. That's how He works. That's where we get into trouble. Other people try to fill that void in their life with possessions or with success in their career. Hey, those things have their place. We all have possessions. God's not stripping you of your possessions but he's saying if those are priority number one, then there's a mix up in your life. You cannot fill your life with possessions. They won't satisfy you. You cannot find an enjoyment in a successful career because your soul is not based or built upon that. Your soul has a void that only God can fill. Amen? Amen. So you have to make effort, you have to put time in, you have to have energy uh, towards this relationship and this seeking after God. All these things people, jobs, career, pleasures, possessions will not satisfy your soul. Only God alone can do that. And listen, we all look everywhere else. I'm included. I know you are too. We all look everywhere else for satisfaction because it's natural, because Satan is good at what he does and he puts it on our plate. And so we look at it. Amen. Think about it. God alone and He can fill that void in your life. Now, let's talk about something else. What does a person look like who seeks after God? David gives us a picture of that. He's not a religious fanatic. He doesn't have crosses and and things all over his house and bumper stickers all over his cars and he doesn't have to wear Christian t-shirts everywhere he goes. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But that's not necessarily what a person who's seeking after God looks like. Amen? Not a fanatic, but someone who is balanced in life. Someone who has their perspectives in order. Well, what does that person appear to be? Verse Five tells us this person has inner satisfaction look in verse 5 it says my soul is satisfied as with morrow and fatness David says my soul is satisfied as with plenty to eat I'll give you an example when I sat down at Thanksgiving this year I got my first plate of food <laughs> and I ate it and you know what I was satisfied I was completely satisfied and I put that plate down in the kitchen and I went into the living room and I sat on that uh, sofa or that love seat or that lazy boy recliner and I watched some TV as other people were doing the same thing. I was satisfied until I started thinking about that good old giblet gravy and them mashed taters. And all that turkey and that dressing. And you know what? I said, I'm going to go get another plate. And I did. But David says, my soul is satisfied like that first plate of Thanksgiving dinner. You can't top that, can you? You know why? Because the second plate, now you're miserable. (laughs) The first plate is satisfying. The second plate makes you miserable. And then you're going to put pie on top of that. Hey. Hey. It's what we do. But you understand David's picture here. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. That's what he's trying to show us. We have an inner satisfaction. That's the type of person that is seeking after God. You can see those people, right? They don't get bent out of shape. Oh, somebody might say something to hurt a normal person's feelings, but this guy goes away with a smile on his face. He's not twisted up. He don't get emotional about it. He just goes on with his life in Christ because he's satisfied with God. Amen. The second thing we see there is he has an inner joy. Look in verse 5 again. He says, and my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. Verse 7, for thou hast been my help, and in the shadow of thy wings I sing for joy. Verse 11, but the king will rejoice in God. So David has this inner joy that seems to escape most of the world. David's world is fallen apart. Think about it. He is fleeing for his life. He's sleeping, as I said last week, on a ground, in a tent, perhaps, in a cave. And yet he has this inner joy. If we were like David at this time, we wouldn't be writing songs, would we? Most of us would be in tears. We would be praying. We would be searching. We would be asking why. We would be looking for answers. But here's what David does. He writes songs about God. Man, that's somebody who's got satisfaction and joy in his God. Amen? That's what a person looks like who is seeking after God. Joy is not based on David's circumstances. Joy cannot be experienced apart from God. David has this inner joy. The third thing I want you to see is in verse 7. He has an inner strength and stability. For thou hast been my help, and in the shadow of thy wings I sink for joy, my soul clings to thee, thy right hand upholds me. What's David saying? David, were, I'm sorry, God was and God is David's strength. Nothing else needs to be said. God was and God is and will remain the strength of King David. Is he that for you today? What does a person look like who is seeking after God? They have satisfaction, they have joy, and they have strength all within because of who God is. Now, another thing I want to discuss with you how does a person seek after God? All right, David gives us an example of that as well, right? Assuming that you know Him already that you've been saved, that you are a Christian, right? Seeking after God only comes to those who have been found by God. Let me show you a verse to substantiate that. John 6, no one can come to me. This is Jesus talking. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You can't come to God Can't come to Jesus to be saved unless God draws you. Amen? So God draws us to Him and we uh, commit, we are saved, we believe, we trust. Now there's three things I want to talk to you about being or how to seek after God. Number one, put your love for God at the center of your relationship with Him. That has to be top. You have to put your love for God at the center of your relationship with Him. David says in verse 8, I cling to you. We all want to do that. We all want to cling to God. But then David also adds in verse 8, Your hand upholds me. So David is clinging to God while God is holding David up. Are you clinging to God while God is holding you up? That's balance in life. Oh, God can hold you up while you run around doing your old thing, but it doesn't work very well. And you can cling to God, but He doesn't have to hold you up. But He promises that He will. So there's a balance in you clinging to Him in prayer, in church attendance, in following His ways, in understanding who He is. There's a way that you cling to God all the while that He's holding you up. Verse 8, again, look at it. My soul clings to Thee. Thy right hand upholds me. This is what David wants us to see. Amen? That we can accomplish this. It's a beautiful balance. Clinging to God is what? It's a loyal affection. A loyal affection. Put your love For God at the center of your relationship with Him. You know, it's similar to your marriage. For you that are married. For you that are not, marriage is like this. We fall in love with each other. At the beginning, of course, we have feelings. And emotions are involved in that, right? And we have these feelings that lead into marriage. And then marriage must take another step of commitment. So marriage based on feelings without commitment will not last. Why? Because pressure. Pressure comes in from the world. So if you fall in love with someone... And it's all based on feelings, that's good, that's the way it works, that's the way it starts. But then you put that ring on each other's finger, now you are making a commitment. Now my marriage can make it through difficult times because I have made a commitment to my wife. and She's made a commitment to me. You see, now listen to me, your relationship with God... How many of you shed tears when you were saved? Anybody? Almost every hand went up. Feelings, emotions were involved in this relationship. But then I have to commit to it because the commitment part will carry me through the difficult times ahead. And believe me, as a Christian, there is difficulty around every corner. And at the end of every road and behind every door and through every open window, there is difficulty. So God says, we fell in love with each other through emotions and feelings, but now you must commit to me because I'm committed to you. You know how I know Jesus committed to me? Because He went to the cross for me. He showed His commitment to me. Now, how are you showing your commitment to Him? How are you responding to His commitment for you? Are you still in the loving, feeling, emotional stage, or have you made the commitment to follow Him, love Him, serve Him? That's what He's after. That's how you find and seek after God, is that you have Him at the center of your relationship. amen your love for him at the center of the relationship now there's some things about marriage let's talk about that gail and i've been married for 30 years there's times in my life that i've had to say no to other things rather than her other pursuits other desires other goals other ideas But because I'm committed to this person, I said no to these. Do you understand that? There's things in her life she had to say no to because she's committed to me. They might be good things. They might be bad things. But we are committed to one another. Therefore, we say no to these things because of our commitment and love to each other. It works the same with God. There's things in your life you've got to say no to because you committed to Him. You see that? There's things that you can't do. There's things you shouldn't do. There's things that He doesn't want you to do, and you have to say no to them because you've made a commitment to Him, just like in your marriage. Put your love for God at the center of your relationship, and you will be able to seek after Him. The second thing I want you to see is this. Spend time alone with Him. That's how that works. Spend time alone with God. You know, when uh, I I met Gail, I was living an hour away from her. And I had a busy life. I was a welder, a pipe fitter. I was working all over the state. I happened to be working at Fort Sill. At that time, I was living in Sterling, Oklahoma. And you know what? I would go to work. I'd work all day, come home. I'd be tired might hang out with some friends or do something a little bit but when i met gail guess what i did whoo i drive that hour every day after work to go be with her because there was nothing like spending time with the person that you're falling in love with there's nothing like spending time with the person and you will rearrange your entire schedule to do just that amen won't you And so that's the way it is with God. You've fallen in love with Him. Rearrange your schedule to spend time with Him alone. Brother Clay, you don't understand. I've got favorite TV shows that I like to watch. Rearrange your schedule to spend time alone with the One that you love, with the One that you care about, with the One who's given His life so that you can have life. How do I do that? I do it by prayer and worship I express my love for Him by worshiping Him, by praising Him. I spend time alone with Him. We talked about that in my Sunday school class today. We talked about when we get to heaven and it is eternity, will there be a chance with all of these people there that you and Jesus will get to spend time alone. And you know what I said? I believe to be so i believe with the millions of christians that'll be in heaven that in eternity i'll get my chance to be with my savior physically hearing speaking seeing i'll get to be with him alone isn't that what you want now When you pray and you ask and you read, don't you want time with Him? He told us to get in our prayer closet and to spend time with Him alone. Well, when we get to heaven, is all that thrown out the window? I don't believe so. But God wants me to get in practice with it right now. To spend time alone with Him. To clear my mind and to make everything go away. But Jesus, that is how I seek after God. To spend time alone with Him. When I talked about spending time with Gail and spending time with God, when I first was saved, uh, my spending time alone with God was a lot of it driving to work, right? I would drive to work and I would spend time alone with Him in prayer, listening to music and, and crying and all those things that happen when we're brand new Christians, amen? And it was a delight, It lifted me every day to do that. And then I became a Christian, oh, 10, 15, 20 years. And you know what it turned into some days? It was duty. Now it's duty. When I'd go to Mexico on mission trips, I went over 20 times to Mexico on mission trips. And about the 15th time, I was driving in the van with the director of the group and, And I told him, I said, you know what? These trips aren't the same as they used to be when I was younger. When I was a brand new Christian, man, it was exhilarating to go on a mission trip. But now I know what to expect. I know what's going to happen. I know this and I know that. And he just looked at me and he said, Clay, he said, now you are serving now you're serving the Lord. The first few trips were fun and exciting and different. But now you're continuing to go because of your love for Him and love for them. And you're serving God. Now, when He told me that, you know what happened? My duty in my prayer time returns to being delightful. Let me ask you a question. Is your one-on-one time with God, is that out of duty? Or is it delight? Are you loving spending time with Him? Or is it just something you know you're supposed to do? Spend time alone with God out of delight for Him, not out of duty. One more thing. I'll close with this. Include Him in every area of your life. Why? Because He's already there. He's already there. Everything you have, everything you possess came from Him. What a blessing, amen, that God's given us to be born in this country, to have the things we have, the opportunities we have, the pleasures we have, all came from God. Every good gift is from our Father above. Right? So everything we have, God knows. He's given it to us. He's included it with us. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways, and He will make your path straight. Amen. Acknowledge God in everything that you do, in every area of life that you have. Everything is from Him. God is not in a box. You don't break God out of your closet on Sunday morning and put Him in your Bible and bring Him to church and shout, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then you go back home and you put your Bible in the closet and you put God in there with it. God, that's not God. God's not the spoke on a wheel in your life, God is the hub of all the spokes of the wheel of your life. God is everything to us. God is God. He is the Lord. He is the King of kings. I need to treat Him as such. Let me ask you a question. How is it with you and God right now in your life? How is it? Well, you might answer, Well, Brother Clay, I am serving Him faithfully. That's not what I asked you. How is it with you and Him right now in your life? What's going on in your life? There was a man, a pastor named Alan Redpath. And he wrote an article that I was able to read this week. And it said that there was a time in his life when he was a pastor and he was preaching. And he said God was blessing his preaching because God was blessing the church with growth and spiritual growth. And things were going fantastic in Alan's life. And then one day, he had a stroke. And he woke up. Yes, Robin, that's right. He woke up in the hospital. And he took him a few days to realize what had taken place and what was going on. And then he began to pray. And he said, God, why would you allow that to happen in the middle of you blessing that church and blessing your word coming from that pulpit? Why would you stop me suddenly with this stroke? And here's what God said to Mr. Redpath. He said, Alan, your work has gotten ahead of your worship. How's things with you and God right now in your life? Has your work, has your service gotten ahead of your worship? It's easy to do. Satan's good. He'll put them things on your plate to distract you, to steer you the wrong way, to cause you to get your priorities out of order. God is our priority. Not necessarily the service. And not the work in the church, but God. Is He yours? Let's pray. Lord, make us see that You are number one in our life, whether we realize that or not. And Lord, certainly if we are not behaving that way, I pray that You would change that this morning in every heart. I pray that You would be the number one thing in our life. Father, in a couple of weeks we're celebrating your entrance into this world in the flesh. What an important day for us as Christians that you would take the form of a man, that you would go through the things that we go through, that you would suffer the things we suffer, you would enjoy the things we enjoy. And Father, you would do all of that to become us so that you could give your life in our place. I can't ever thank you enough for looking down from heaven and seeing me long ago in my life, wherever I was, Lord, what I was doing. And Lord, you touched me and you changed me. And Lord, I know there's someone here today that needs that touch. I know there's someone here today that needs to come home. They've been wandering, they've drifted away. They're not okay with you right now. Father, touch them. Restore them. Bring them to your altar. Bring them to that relationship with you that David desired and that we can have all because of your son. And Lord, I pray you bless this moment as you move in every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.